The investment that you make in developing the leadership ability of staff at all levels of your organization will pay huge in the end and will actually help you to become a, a smooth running machine at a water or wastewater utility. Welcome to this edition of the Water Brothers Podcast. I'm Joe Kirshner, the president of American Water College, and I'm joined today by my brother, Jay, who serves as the executive director. Today, we're going to be having a discussion about the need for leadership development at water and wastewater utilities around the country. And we're going to be drawing on information that we teach in our Effective Utility Management Certificate Program that we do in partnership with California State University, Fresno. So to kick it off today, Jay, I want to have a brief discussion about the difference between management and leadership. So if you could just give us the difference or let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it. And, but first, before we get into that, I want to emphasize that one is not better than the other. One is not good. One is not bad. Um, both leadership and management are needed in all organizations. But when you talk about leadership theory and management theory, we often you know, split it into a, a, the two different groups. And I want to just look at, uh, compare them uh, from different, several different angles. First of all, let's just talk about the meaning, meaning of leadership and the meaning of management. So first, leadership is, is a skill. It's the skill of leading others, uh, influencing others to achieve a, a common goal. Whereas management is more about systematically organizing and coordinating things. So leadership's more about people and management's more about process. Leadership is based on trust and management uh, can be said that it's based on control. In leadership, you tend to emphasize inspiring people more than in management, you're, you're managing activities. Uh, your source of, of power or authority in leadership comes from influence, whereas in management, it comes from rules. In leadership, you tend to focus on encouraging change, positive change for your organization, whereas in management, you're looking to provide stability and constancy and, and consistency in your processes and your procedures uh, well, from a strategic. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you're painting a clear picture. I'm starting to see how, uh, you know, to, to run a utility, you do need that management function, but leadership is very different. Uh, so go ahead and finish your thought there. Absolutely. I got, I'm, I'm looking at it from, from three more, three additional perspectives here. When it comes to strategy, a leader, and when it comes to leadership, you're going to be more proactive. You're looking to the future. You're trying to make a positive change, whereas in management, you're more reactive. You're, you're taking the instructions from uh, either the board or the general manager or, or somebody else, and you're, you're implementing the, the processes that need to be in place to affect whatever change changes coming down. In leadership, you tend to formulate broad principles and guidelines for your people. You cast a vision, whereas in management, you tend to focus on policies and procedures. And then finally, a leader needs to have good foresight. They're, they're continually looking at the future, what's next, what direction are we headed, where are we ultimately going to end up, 
where as a manager it tends to be a little more short range uh, in focus. And they're looking at what, what do I need to get done today? What do our people need to do, you know, day by day, week by week to, to keep this organization moving? Okay. That, excellent. I appreciate that explanation. And while you were talking, I had the thought, you know, we, we say that words mean things and the labels that we put on things impacts uh, how people respond. I, I'm just wondering, you know, there, there are positions in water utilities, for example, the water quality manager or the water treatment plant uh, manager. Why wouldn't we change those titles to water quality leader? or treatment plant leader? Or why don't we just substitute the word leader for manager for those positions where we're typically hiring managers? Well, that's a good question. I would say we, we're not going to do that because it is important. It is important that we have consistency, that we have those policies and those procedures and, and definite proven processes when it comes to water treatment and operating a water or a wastewater utility. But what we're going to talk about today and what we teach in our seminar um, on leadership, and we teach both management and leadership, um, but specifically leadership, if you can increase your leadership ability, you're going to drastically improve your ability to manage. So uh, while we do need good managers, uh, we can improve our management skills or, or you know, add to our management toolbox by adding some of these leadership skills that we're going to talk about. Okay. So a question I have then is, is, and you kind of already touched on it, but let's get a little more specific to the water utility. Why the need for leadership and not just management in a water or wastewater utility? Well, with management, we're talking about processes and, and, and consistent processes and consistent results. With leadership, we're talking about leading change. And it just so happens that in this industry, we see changing technology in our system controls. We see changing technology in the treatment processes. We see a changing workforce. The you know, with uh, one big group uh, of our workforce retiring and entering a, a different style of worker coming into the workforce hey, with different let me, needs. Let me ask you, Jay. I mean, that you touch on something that I hear and talk about all the time when we. Uh, do our classes, uh, but it, doesn't it take leadership to uh, basically bring the different uh, generations that are in the workplace together? I mean, how does how does leadership play into that changing workforce and the generation gaps? Yeah, I was talking recently with a manager, and there was some conflict. And one of the things that we're called on in in positions of leadership and management is to resolve conflict, but it, there was some conflict between, uh, I'll just say, I, I'm older, so I can use the word older, but an older employee, somebody who was more seasoned, been there 20 years, and then you, you had some of the new up-and-coming individuals, and, and they there was a conflict in how they were going to uh, perform specific tasks, or how they were going to, you know, complete, you know, complete their job, and he was asking me how how can i uh how can i present this to my manager the general manager uh so that we could create a policy that would fix this problem and it led to a discussion about you know i i'm not sure that we 
that, that, that we can create a policy, number one, that, that's going to solve that problem, because what it comes down to is interpersonal relationships. And that's that's a major difference between leadership and management. Remember, if we said management deals with processes and procedures and policies and all of that, whereas leadership deals with influence. It deals with interpersonal relationships. It it addresses, you know, leading by example. It addresses finding out what what it is that's going to help those individuals get along. And that's that's not something that you can address by a policy. Um, it's something that you address through leadership. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, Jay, uh, some of the material that we go over in our certificate program on this topic of leadership development comes from a, a book that was written by Jack Zanger and Joe Folkman. And the book's titled The Extraordinary Leader. And in that book, they present the idea that leaders are developed over time. They're not naturally born with the ability to lead. Now, I would say that different personality types and the way you know people are born with different personality types and, and certain personalities do lend themselves to uh, dynamic leadership. But when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about someone who's you know naturally charismatic or extroverted. We're talking about uh, certain skills that people can learn to become a leader. So in their book, and as a result of their research, they've concluded that leaders are developed or they're made, they're not born. Yeah, Joe, I've seen it in, in the military. When I was in the military, you can take someone of average intelligence and give them the skills through training and through giving them opportunities to learn how to lead. And you can develop them into effective leaders. I've seen it you know, like I said, in my time in the military, I've seen it in the private sector as a manager when we institute leadership development programs. And and it, it even we even see it in water utilities as we're implementing the, our effective utility management uh, certificate program. Uh, and those organizations that institute a leadership development program see excellent results in the ability, the leadership ability of their staff. So what are those areas of leadership, Jay, that an organization should focus on when developing the leadership of their company? Well, we, we focus on five. And the, uh, let me just give them to you. First, it's personal character. Second, your personal capability. Third, the ability to focus on results. Fourth, your interpersonal skills. And then fifth is leading organizational change. Now, the first one of those is personal character, and this one is non-optional. And, and actually, all five of these, if you want to be an effective leader, you need to focus on developing in each of these five areas. The first one we say is non-optional, and that is personal character, displaying a high degree of integrity and honesty. The people that are going to follow you, if you're going to have influence, and remember we said leadership is about influence. If you're going to be able to influence people to act or influence people to uh, move in a certain direction, they're going to have to be able to trust you. And that only comes through your personal character, through displaying integrity, through you know being honest and truthful. They have to be able to trust you as an individual. They're, they're, they're buying into you before they buy into the vision. So that's, okay. that's personal character. Okay. Uh, question, and I, I, I've had this question uh, posed uh, to me. Can people change? You know, someone, someone in class said, I don't believe people can change. Do you think people can change? 
and this individual went on to say uh, that either you have integrity or you don't. It's not something that you can uh, learn. And uh, what would you say to that, Jay? I would say to that, that if you observe humanity and if you've been alive for as long as you and I have, it's very tempting to say that because it is true. It's people tend to develop their personalities and, and who they are early in life, you know, in, you know, preteen and in their teen years and, and by ad- early adulthood to a large extent, they, they are who they're going to be. Now, that being said, what formed their character, what developed who they are is a result of the th- things that they did and the things that they said and the habits that they've created. And so the good news is, is that while most people don't change, that is true, but everybody can change. And, and we do that by taking an honest assessment of where we are, you know, in this case, when it, as, as it pertains to personal character, am I a person of integrity? And if the answer is no, making a decision, I need to, or I want to become a person of integrity. And then you set about uh, creating and developing those habits of integrity. I don't want to go into it too much right now. We'll go into it. We're going to talk about how to create a personal development plan. And, and I go into that a little bit more there. So we'll, let's okay. just save that. Okay. Well, thank you for that good word, Jay. Okay. Moving on from personal character to uh, the next one, personal capability. What do you got there? Now, personal capability, we break this down into four different areas. The first being your technical or your professional expertise. Next is your ability to analyze issues and solve problems. Third, innovation. And then fourth is do you practice self-development? So so those four all fall under this personal capability uh, heading. We, we don't expect people to uh, exhibit strengths in all four of these areas, but but at least one. So maybe you have good technical skills or maybe you don't. If you don't, you can compensate for your in, your lack of technical skills by practicing self-development or by your ability to be a good problem solver and analyzer. Let me interrupt you here, Jay. Um, this reminded me of someone I used to work with and, and we were uh, very good friends and we're still good friends to today, um, but we'd have discussions about uh, what does it take to be the supervisor of a water treatment plant, um, to, to lead that organization with regard to uh, operations. And I made the statement that you don't have to know everything about water treatment in order to be the treatment plant supervisor. And my friend would tell me that that's just not true. You know, you need to be technically competent and, and be the expert uh, because the people, your staff, are going to look to you for that expertise. And you know, I basically said, well, wait a minute, if I don't know something, but I know where to get the answer, or if, if there's a resource that I can use to solve that problem, isn't that just as good? And so, you know, he still has his view. I still have my view. You know, what say you? Yeah, I say that's right. So if, if, if looking at this, this area of personal capability, so in your example, you your personal capability was not the technical expert but your personal capability might be you're a problem solver. You're able to analyze issues. You know where to, you, you've maybe developed a network 
of individuals who are technical experts that you can draw on. I mean, Henry Ford was that way. Henry Ford was successful not because he had all the technical expertise and knowledge. He was good at solving problems and you know analyzing issues and finding those with the technical expertise. So he he didn't know everything about you know the best way or the most efficient way to build a car. He had ideas, but then he he went about finding those with the specialized skills and knowledge that were needed uh, to to complete that process. And so that's what we're saying here with personal capability. Not that you have to know everything, be the best, be the all-knowing, you know, technical expert, but you either need to be that or be able to solve problems or uh, look for innovative solutions. And that's or, I mean, getting back to the Ford example, you know, Henry Ford was innovative in his way of manufacturing the automobile. So he was seen as being personally capable. All right. So the third area that we uh, encourage our students to uh, work on is their focus on results. And we break this down into th- to three subcategories. One is, is, do you have a drive for results? Or uh, do you have the ability to establish stretch goals for yourself and for your team? And then the third area is, do you take initiative? That reminds me of when I was working uh, at a water utility, and I, I spent many years doing that. But but something that used to frustrate me uh, beyond anything else was uh, the way one of my bosses would not stay focused on a task until it was completed. You know, we'd get started on this this great initiative, and we'd get going down the road, and then uh, this particular boss would. Uh, take her eye off the ball and shift directions and go on to some new project, never driving for the results on completing that one project. There was a a big initiative and a big deal at the time, but when some new project came up or, as we say, something shinier came along, uh, all the focus would shift to that, and there was just no drive for results. And and that caused an issue of uh, a morale issue in our department because we knew that our boss's focus uh, was short-lived and uh, we wouldn't have full support to complete the project that we began. Yeah, we see this all, all the time at the various utilities when we, we visit them and do workshops and, and talk with different supervisors and managers. And they tell stories about the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes even millions of dollars that are wasted for this simple reason is that they'll, you know, it'll be a great project and they'll get off to a great start. And then it, it, it just kind of fizzles out, never gets completed because they have to start a new project and move on. So, you know, yeah, this, so this, one of the key, so something I just want our listeners to, to understand the investment that you make in developing the leadership ability of staff at all levels of your organization will pay huge in the end and will actually help you to become a, a smooth running machine at a water or wastewater utility. This let, let me make a plug for our program here, if I could, kind of a shameless plug. But when you when you look at the cost of a leadership development program, the, the training uh, that we do in our effective utility management certificate program, 
you know, the cost of the training really is, is nothing compared to the amount of money that a utility can save by, by this, this one simple thing, by focusing on results. And like you say, not going from project, unfinished project to unfinished project. And we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and sometimes millions of dollars wasted on a project started but not completed. Okay, so you've touched on personal character, the personal capability of the individual, and focusing on results. What's number four, Jay? Number four is your interpersonal skills. And we break this down into five different areas. One is the area of communication. Do you have the ability to effectively communicate in in different mediums with your employees. Another area is the ability to inspire and motivate others to a high performance. Uh, Next, your ability to build relationships. Uh, The fourth area is, are you somebody who develops other people? Are you a mentor? And then the fifth subcategory is, uh, are you able to work collaboratively you know, not just with your team, but do you engage in teamwork uh, for your team? And then, you know, do you foster that with with those that, that are that report to you? And then do you foster teamwork within the, the broader organization? Hey, another quick story, Jay. Uh, when I was working at one organization, there was this battle that went on between uh, the folks at the treatment plant and the folks in the field running the water system throughout town. And they did not get along. And, you know, when I teach the class, I I get input from other utilities and I come to find out uh, this is not unique or was not a unique situation to that organization. I think it's pretty much everywhere. But the fact that the two departments were at war rather than working together uh, cost large, large volumes of water to be lost due to leaks in the system, which ultimately uh, increased operational cost and a lot of money wasted on making repairs and and just everything that goes with not working together to solve the problem, but working against each other uh, to exacerbate the problem or, or keep it going. So again, by learning the value of teamwork and learning how to work collaboratively, uh, through training really pays dividends at water utilities. Can you give us some of the specifics of, of what, what the problem was between the two teams? Uh, sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll keep it general, but, but be as specific as I can. Um, what started the war, I, I think, was a statement by uh, someone at the treatment plant that, uh, well, maybe it was started from the, the field staff that said, you know, you don't, you don't work as hard as we do. And then somebody remarked, uh, can't help it if we work smarter, not harder. And, and that kind of kicked off the feud. And uh, this discussion took place at a, uh, an all hands meeting where lunch was served. And, you know, this, this time that was intended to build teamwork and build camaraderie actually created the forum where a, a, a wedge or a divide was created in the organization. Over the next couple of years, the feud continued. And at this particular system, the, the folks at the treatment plant moved water around the distribution system. So they controlled the pumping schemes uh, to keep 
maintain water storage in the different tanks. And it was the distribution staff that maintained uh, the system, did the flushing, and installed new line and new service connections as necessary, and then did leak repairs. Well, to kind of speed this up, what was happening is, uh, since the system was aging, um, hydraulic shock to the system would cause new leaks in the system. So the folks at the treatment plant controlled the pumping. So if the pumping sequence was done in such a way, uh, leaks would happen in the distribution system. So uh, because... Now, this this was not an intentional thing. It was not an intentional uh, act on the part of the water treatment staff to create these hydraulic shocks that created leaks. The problem was the two departments didn't talk to one another. Therefore, the, the data was never overlaid on each other that correlated pumping schemes with leaks. Although accusations were made, you know, the distribution staff would say, if you guys would learn how to not hydraulically shock the system, this wouldn't happen. And the treatment staff said, no, our system is, you know, 60 years old, 70 years old. That's what you get. It's just, it's old system. You know, we need to replace the pipe. And because there was no actual discussion between the departments where the data was shared as to, you know, when were the pumps turned on, when did the leaks develop and, and all that, it wasn't until there was a change in leadership in the departments that the two new managers got together and essentially buried the hatchet and decided to try to solve this problem working together. That system went from having three crews working full time every day fixing leaks down to one crew uh, that was fixing a leak about every other day. And then eventually as they replaced those older sections in the system, uh, leaks are a, an anomaly now as to where when they were when the feud was in full swing, leaks were the norm. So in this case, it was the ability of those new managers to work together collaboratively and to work as a team, each of their own teams working in the context of the broader uh, team of the organization. That is correct, Jay. And, and it's the, the, the interpersonal skill um, of being able to communicate, um, build relationships, and then work collaboratively that, that ultimately uh, led to the solution to where this uh, one, that the feud has, has just kind of become just a dull simmer instead of being in full boil. Uh, and the, the system stopped losing large amounts of water. And that's a good lead into the, the last area, and that is leading organizational change. So in this area, we look at the competencies of developing or having a strategic perspective. And that's what those those two managers had. They were looking at the perspective looking at the the leak issue from you know a high level view from a strategic perspective from from the overall organization. Uh, the next competency is the ability to champion or lead change. And then the last one is your ability to connect internal groups with with the outside world. And we see those displayed in that story that you just shared with us, which which is really good. So if I heard you correctly, Jay, there's five key areas that we want to develop our leadership in. Um, that would be personal character, personal capability, focusing on results, 
our interpersonal skills and leading organizational change. And, and I heard you say that we want to focus on our strengths within each of those categories. Are you then saying we can ignore our weaknesses? Yeah, no, what we teach and, and what the research shows is that most great leaders have a lot of weaknesses, and that's okay, unless it falls within one of the areas that we call the five fatal flaws. If you have a one of the fatal flaws, then that's something that needs to be fixed immediately. So I'm sure our listeners want to know, what are these five fatal flaws? All right. The first one is your inability to learn from mistakes. And this is the single biggest cause of failure for leaders is their inability to recognize their mistakes or their inability to acknowledge that they even made a mistake. And then their inability to learn from it, fix it, uh, keep it from happening again. So number one, your inability to learn from mistakes. And you, you may have worked with or for individuals who who are never wrong, never make a mistake. I have. If that's you, yep. <laughs> if that's you, that's a fatal flaw. And, and you need to identify it, find it, fix it immediately. The second one is your lack of core interpersonal skills. And these correlate uh, pretty closely to the five areas that we uh, want to develop on focusing your strengths. So, so really, you can almost just overlay them uh take the opposite of your strengths. And if, if it's not a strength and if it's in fact a weakness, then uh, you need to develop it or fix it. So the two, lack of core interpersonal skills. If you're uh, abrasive, you know, you may be somebody who can focus on results and get things done, but if you're constantly browbeating uh, your team or if you're cold or arrogant, you're a bully, um, that's, we consider that a fatal flaw that needs to be fixed. Yeah, in class, I, I've this comes up regularly about, you know, isn't my job as the manager or my job as the supervisor to get things done? And if I've got to resort to, uh, you know, drastic measures, uh, what some might call abusive measures, but I get results, doesn't that make me a good leader uh, for my organization? Uh, what would you say to somebody that has that view? I would say no, because remember, we talked about the difference between leadership and management and management deals with processes and, you know, performance and, and all of that. Leadership is about influence. Leadership is about inspiring people. And it's really about uh, people wanting to come uh, and 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 wanting to work you know, with you and for you and get things done. What we find oftentimes and really the number one reason people leave an organization is they're leaving their boss. They're not unhappy with the organization necessarily, but if they work for a boss, a manager that you just described or that I described, uh, you're going to have high turnover and there's, there's a cost to turnover. So while you may get short-term results, you may find that you're cycling through, you know, morale goes down uh, and you're, you're, there's probably going to be higher turnover. So, um, maybe maybe a decent manager from the the standpoint of yeah you get those results but not a great leader because it comes at a cost. So so this person might then say uh, something like, so are you saying that I need to be soft? That's just not me. No, we're not saying to be soft at all. We're it, it, we as a leader, you need to be able to hold others accountable. 
set goals, have high expectations, but you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to browbeat people. You don't need to uh, be abrasive to demean others in order to to get results or to hold people accountable. Okay, so so it sounds like maybe a new skill set for this individual because I've I've worked alongside people that they lack these interpersonal skills that they don't know any other way other than to ridicule, yell, scream, um, and and just be be basically a jerk to their people if they don't like the results. So what maybe what we're suggesting is uh, if you give that manager a different uh, skill set or some more tools for that uh, leadership toolbox, then the, the yelling, the screaming, and the abusive language uh, can be set aside and uh, he or she can employ these new skills and maybe get better results. Exactly. And we, we do go into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, probably in a future podcast, we'll, t- we'll talk about, you know, we have a, a full module on how to give feedback, how to give, you know, constructive criticism, how to hold people accountable, uh, you know, let them know you're, you're not meeting expectations, you're not performing up to our standards, but to do it in a positive way that actually it builds and enhances the relationship as opposed to hurting it. Okay, great. All right. So the third fatal flaw is your lack of openness to new or different ideas. Okay. This is the the person who, you know, says, nope, that new idea won't work. We've always done it this way. Um, They reject the suggestions from their, uh, whether it's a peer or a subordinate, but any new idea, they just reject it out of hand. They, They insist on doing things their way. Um, they're closed to new ideas and, and new thinking and new ways of doing things. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I've worked for a boss who, uh, whose idea was the best idea and really the only one that even had a chance of being adopted. And what happened is people stopped uh, trying to give input to offer solutions to problems as they came up. They just waited for the boss to give the direction because everybody knew that it was going to be whatever this particular boss wanted to do. That was going to be the direction that we went in. So any type of innovative ideas or creative ideas, or even a simple solution to some problems, they just were left in people's heads because they didn't even bother uh, offering it up because our boss was so closed to ideas that were not his own. Now the fourth area is lack of accountability. Uh, your your great leaders feel not only responsible for their own productivity, their own performance, but also they take responsibility for their entire work group. Now, because great leaders model personal accountability, they can expect accountability by others, and they can provide the, that all necessary support that others need to meet their accountability expectations. Now, the final fatal flaw is lack of initiative. Individuals who fail to produce results specifically because they take no action to make things happen. That is the complete opposite of what organizations want and need and expect. That's the opposite of what we've been talking about. That's the opposite of leadership. Organizations need and want leaders who can champion the the change initiatives that are going to improve the overall performance of, of in, in our case, the water utility. 
So there they are, the five fatal flaws, the inability to learn from our mistakes, our lack of core personal skills, lack of openness to new or different ideas, lack of accountability, and then lack of initiative. Well, Jay, do you have any tips for how to, one, uh, correct these fatal flaws, if, if we have any of those? And then also, can you give us some tips on how to come up with a plan to increase our leadership skills? Absolutely. When it comes to the five fatal flaws, the first thing you want to do is you need to identify whether or not you have a fatal flaw. But before we do that, to to help you identify them, there are three things that each fatal flaw... Join us next time as Jay and I have a conversation about how we can fix our fatal flaws and then come up with a personal development plan to improve our ability to lead others.